today on the 100th episode of Mountain Meister, we may have found somebody who is my polar opposite. Because um, it's just not for me, I'll, I'll say that. But I've never thought of it in that context, Ben. Another way you and I are a bit divergent. I don't know. Um, I, I just think that we have two very different outlooks, but, you know, we're... We're, we're well, meshing. Why don't you let me interview you for another podcast? Maybe on this 100th episode, I'll get a taste of my own medicine. Do you, do you have any questions for me right now? <laughs> How, what's your biggest um, differentiation between our outlooks? Okay, you, you're way, way, way more spiritual. Being different is good. You can learn more from people who think differently than you. Today we're learning from the first person to climb and ski the Seven Summits. This is Mountain Meister. Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hello, everyone, and welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Mountain Meister. I am happy today to welcome Kit Delorier. Kit, hi. Welcome to Mountain Meister. Hi, Ben. Kit is the first person to climb and ski from the tops of the highest mountains on every single continent. Her project took two years, and she's written a book about it called Higher Love, Skiing the Seven Summits. She was named a 2015 National Geographic Adventurer of the Year, and she's now named the 100th Mountain Meister. Congratulations on that, too, Kit. Thank you for mentioning both those things. It's nice to be part of this podcast. It's such a memorable number. Oh, yes, absolutely, and and definitely some uh, other memorable guests here in good company. Uh, Kit, I've read your name on paper a lot, uh, but for some reason I never actually heard it spoken, uh, so I'm embarrassed to say that I actually wasn't sure how to pronounce your last name properly until uh, about a week ago. That's probably not an unusual situation. Um, and I, My maiden name was Katzenbach, which is wow. 10 letters, and then I married Rob and um, bumped it up to 11 letters. So. And, and a couple silent S's, too. That's right. That's right. But I always I studied French in high school and college, so it doesn't seem unusual to me. But I can see how if you were one of the rest of the country who studies Spanish as your second language, then it might not come so naturally. I, I was saying uh, Delorier for a little bit. At least I wasn't saying the S's. Um, <laughs> I'm sure you've read Harry Potter, right? I'm assuming. Yes. Do you Do you remember how you first pronounced Hermione's name when you read it? Hermione. Really. Mm-hmm. Very impressive. Okay, not me or my sister. My sister's going to laugh at this. She said Hermie one for the longest time till we actually listened to the books on tape by Jim Dale, which are fantastic if you haven't already listened to those, the audiobooks. 
Well, now you can understand why I use uh, kitdski.com as my <laughs> website address and kitdski for my Instagram and Twitter handles also because Delorier is intimidating. I need to consider something different. For me, too, my last name is Schenk, S-C-H-E-N-C-K. People forget at least one C normally, so I might need uh, like Ben S. Podcast or something along the line, those lines. Right. Okay, I feel like I already know you, and it's really weird because I've spent the, like the past week uh, climbing and skiing the Seven Summits with you through your book, Higher Love. But to you, I'm just kind of this guy on the other end of the telephone. Um, so I, I promise you, even though I couldn't pronounce your last name and I just spent a little bit of time talking about Harry Potter, I'm actually kind of a cool guy, okay? <laughs> <laughs> We are lucky to have you here today, and we're not going to spend this time talking about your entire book, because that would be impossible. For the listeners, if you'd like to read about Kit's journey through all seven of the seven summits, you can pre-order it on Amazon now or wait until January 20th when it goes on sale. But I want to start off, Kit, with this great Steve Jobs quote uh, from his 2005 commencement speech at Stanford because I could not stop thinking about this as I was reading your book. Uh, and I think this, this will be a theme throughout our conversation. Uh, Steve says, You can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. You have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever. Because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path. I love it. You love it. Good. Um, I thought it was so interesting to see how the dots connected themselves for you uh, in this book. And I'm not saying that the dots just randomly appeared. You had to go after things. So let's cover some dots. Uh, The first one is your wolf, Alta. Uh, Tell our listeners a little bit about Alta. Alta came into my life one week before I graduated from college at the University of Arizona in Tucson and then proceeded with my several-year-old already planned to move to Telluride, Colorado. And when I met him, I had zero idea that I had living with a wolf anywhere in my future. And in fact, if I could give myself a middle name, it's... um, one that my parents didn't give me, (laughs) it would be freedom. And so I'll never forget my mother showed up for my graduation ceremony and looked at me and said, what have you done? This is the first day of the rest of your life. And there I was holding this three-day-old wolf pup. Um, But, you know, it, it never, for me, that journey of bringing that wolf into my life was actually a commitment to live pure freedom and pure truth of what I, of how I wanted to live. And even though I didn't see it coming before I met him, um, it was the most amazing experience. He taught me, he taught me to be true to myself because in the end, there's really no other way. There's no other way for a wolf to be. And if he ever adjusted his innate approach to life, such as maybe sitting down and pondering whether he should chase a herd of elk before he did, <laughs> he would really only ever alter his eventual judgment and his eventual choice in the name of love, in the name of his, re- of his respect, really, for my wishes also. 
so it was a really beautiful journey that was full of love and heart opening exercises and truth about who we are and honoring our, our own nature. Could you have seen that coming though? I mean, the way you describe it in the book is you go to visit these wolf pups and all of a sudden, basically, you're walking home with one. Yeah, well, about a week later. Oh, so yeah. after I met him, I met him when he was three days old, and I was invited to bring him home with me a week later. Mm-hmm. But, but you're right. I mean, it's not a big difference. Right. Did you, did you have a feeling that you would learn so much? Uh, nobody really does this, just letting you know. Um, of course, I. well, I've never done thing, anything the easy way, Ben. I, I remember my mom dropping me off at the airport when I went to go study in France for a semester. And of course, I left about 10 days early or so and wanted to bike around the south coast of France, because isn't that just what you do if you have an extra 10 days at the end of the summer? And I literally had my two boxes, my two pieces of luggage. One was my bike that I had broken down into a cardboard box, and the other was my panniers that I'd put in the box. And she dropped me off at the airport, and she looked at me, and she said, when are you ever going to do things the easy way? Hmm. And I, I just was shocked, actually, literally. I remember where I was looking at her thinking, what, what is so wrong about this? And I got out of the – I got, I landed in Paris, and, um, you know, on my way out of the terminal, picked up my luggage and opened those two cardboard boxes, built my bike, put the panniers on, carried my bike over the turnstile, hopped on the train, went to the south of France, and rode around for a week or so before I started – college there for the semester and for me I just kind of get these ideas of what I want to do and I have this vision and and then that's normal for me so I'm not going to say that living with a wolf is normal I knew it wasn't nor is skiing the seven summits but if it's a vision that really resonates with me then then I then I go for it it's you know everybody's got their own their own way do you think looking back so so as Steve said you can only connect the dots looking backwards. Do you think that had you not grown and raised Alta and had, and obviously you grew from that experience too, do you think that you would have attempted or completed the seven summits in the fashion that you did? That wolf was just part of my life for nine years. And so I have no way of knowing how I would have turned out at age 30, not having spent all my 20s with a wolf. I have no way of knowing that, but I do believe that what Steve Jobs said is so true. And I'll just take a quick moment to expand on that because writing a book about an an adventure, a memoir, Mm -hmm. is such a deeply personal, introspective journey that it takes a lot of examination looking back on something to imagine how to share the story in a meaningful way, you know, how to do my own personal growth to, to really understand my, my journey and what it meant to me and then how to share it. And so when I told those wolf stories to my editor and writing coach, it was in the middle of a writing retreat actually And we had gotten kind of out there with all these great exercises and all these just, you know, personal, personal contemplative dialogues. And, um, of course, the wolf came up for me and these people that I was with looked around like, just like you're kind of saying, what the heck? I mean, who does that really? And for me, it's just, that was just normal. This has been part of my life. And all these stories came out and 
he looked at me and said, this needs to be a part of your book. Hmm. And I actually had no idea that I would write any of these Wolfie stories, or I called him Wolfie. It was one of his nicknames, but any of the Alta Wolf stories into this book. I really wanted to write a whole different book just about him. Um, Hmm. But when I accepted that, that input really, and then I kind of looked back on it and allowed myself to connect the dots from years later, I think that absolutely who I am is shaped by raising a wolf, but I'll never be able to answer that question of whether I would have been able to do, to do this project. Um, He's just part of me. Another fairly significant dot would be when you and your husband, Rob sat down just a few miles away from me at Logan airport in Boston. And under the recommendation of your father, you and Rob, who is your fiance at that time, sat down and wrote down your goals for, I believe, the next year, five years, and then uh, further into the future. Right. Um, you shared them with each other, and you made a lot of these goals happen. And actually, right now, on our website, we're making our goals public, our 2015 goals public. And I think you, Kit, should write down your 2015 goals on our website and share them with the Meister fans. Would you be able to do that for me? I will share some of them. Some yep. Of them. And then I also really believe that some things we need to hold close to our heart because if we talk about them too much, then, um, and we all know which ones those are, then um, the energy gets dissipated out there to the universe somehow. And that's exactly what I was going to bring up for you because you were very secretive telling people that you were trying to climb and ski the seven summits. So how do you decide which goals you should share with people? Because research proves that sharing your goals and making them public actually increases your chances of achieving them. How do you decide which goals you should, you should <laughs> well, share? Well, I might call you out on that, Ben, because I did read your research quotes, and it was far lesser um, – it's of far lesser importance for women than men, it appears. That, that's um, true. For Not for sharing your goals. A 10% uh, increase in success when women share their goals with their friends. Okay. So, but I'm not saying, I'm not saying that this, is, uh, this works for every single goal. I guess that's kind of right. the question here is how right. do you decide which goals you right. should share? Well, I can share one right off the bat, and it's a new concept for me to move a bit away from pure goals Mm -hmm. and more into intention setting. And the reason that I've adopted that in this, these first couple of weeks of January is because with goals, I feel like it's really easy to fail. And with intentions, we can kind of pick ourselves up and keep going. Should we have a minor mishap or miss a day training for a big event or something, Mm because you're continuing on, you know, should you have, maybe you said something you didn't mean to, and and you have a personal goal, you know, about your persona or your habits, Mm -hmm. um, you're in a relationship or something. And so if you make a mistake with a goal, you failed. But if you just kind of veer off with an intention, then, then the universe is still there to accept you on that path towards achieving your intention and mm-hmm. and it kind of realizes that life is a process. Kate, I want you to just write a few things down on our website. We'll talk after the interview. I will, I will, <laughs> of course. <laughs> another dot. Let's talk about another dot. And that was how are you going to fund this thing? 
Climbing and skiing the seven summits is not cheap, but fortunately, you had a benefactor who kind of just showed up into your life while you were competing in big mountain free skiing and stayed with you as you pursued this seven summits project. How meaningful was that? I, I think most people are probably in this boat where if somebody believes in you, all of a sudden you just have so much more energy towards your goals, <laughs> towards your intentions, <laughs> um, than you would have if it was just you on your own. And, you know, a lot of us can lean on special people in our lives, like our family or our closest friends who believe in us. But when it's somebody even, you know, farther out from the outside, like a sponsor who really wants to get behind you, or in this case, you know, an individual philanthropic angel who got behind um, behind me with funding to keep competing on the ski tour, which is what first happened, and then that evolved into the Seven Summits. It was so meaningful that when I found myself winning events on the free skiing tour that second year, he was the first person I would call up. And when I would, you know, make it down off of a big mountain, um, I thought about this person and how happy I'll be to to share the story and share the success with, with this person. And so, yeah, I, I can't say enough about having people who believe in you and it doesn't have to be a financial sponsor. It just has to be having people who believe in you. Yeah. The big difference. The way that I like to see it is that the money, the, the important thing is validation and getting whatever you do validated and money is a form of that validation. It signifies that your idea or uh, whatever your intentions are validated. Um, but it doesn't have to be money. How's that sound? Exactly. Okay. But in this case, I needed the money. To, yes, um, yes. The money enables is very time. enabling. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, agreed. Yeah. Agreed. I wouldn't have been able to do it. Saying, um, hey, and... you can do it, Kit, only gets you so far, right? Yeah, right, right. Kit, you, you have these discussions with yourself throughout the book. They're kind of noted by italics. They're like these internal discussions where it seems like most of the time you have this lack of confidence, but then you talk yourself through it, you visualize it, and then you make it happen. However, toward the end, there was one time when you almost skied into a crevasse after skiing the Lotse face on Everest, and you had this internal discussion regretting what you just did. I'm wondering when you know whether or not you should go for something because in that case it almost turned out very badly and it kind of seemed like a feeling of regret. Hmm. I don't think I had a big feeling of regret okay. there. What, um, what do you I think just, the emotion was? I had a big feeling of that. I spent another one of my nine lives and I had just spent one the day before. Hmm. Okay, so... <laughs> um, yeah, that if those were different things because at that point getting off of Everest, we were just trying to get off Everest and we were trying to ski as much of it as possible. Mm -hmm. um, I think that my, well, maybe what you're referring to at that moment was um, why, yeah, why didn't I listen to myself in that I don't think that it's important to ski anymore since mm -hmm. we hadn't already made a complete ski descent and exactly. this, this seemed way too dangerous. Um, you know, th th those are two very different things though I'll mention, Ben, because on the one hand, when you're working with other people towards a project, and in that case, I was Rob and Jimmy and I mm -hmm. were not 
three different people, really. We were the three of us as one team. And what we were doing, we were all going to do it, you know, together. Um, we had just been through the most amazing ski descent of our lives that morning down the Lotse face. And so we were trying to continue to make these decisions as a team. And when I felt like one path might not be the best and the safest, at that point I need to weigh that against how my teammates are feeling and the solidarity of continuing and then searching myself for whether I can do it or not. Is it really, am I really that concerned that I won't be able to do this or am I just somewhat concerned and I just need to harness my mental focus. Mm-hmm. And in that case, it's, it's somewhat related to also, you know, team dynamics and, and working together. Whereas like the competitive free skiing was, you know, me and my own demons standing at the top of the mountain. Yeah. Do you feel like you're a, playing almost a team sport when you're, when you're trying to ski down Everest? Um, that is an interesting question. You played soccer when you were younger, right? I did. I did. Mm-hmm. I played soccer and softball. and mm, Those teams are all big, though. Okay. So, no. How about some doubles would, tennis? <laughs> no, I'd say a team sport, okay. but the relationships and team dynamics are highly important on mm-hmm. an expedition, not just on Everest, on any expedition. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I'm not saying it's playing a team sport, especially because playing a game is just a game and climbing and skiing a mountain like that is not a game. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's got a lot higher consequences than that. Um, but I, I think it's also far more rewarding because in the end, you don't just have this mountain accomplished, whether it's a- accomplished from the summit or or not you have this other life-building, enriching experience that you're sharing with other human beings that you really care about. Right, right. Well, I would say that at the top level of many team sports, people get that feeling, like a a journey to a championship. Yeah, yeah. That's right. I'm sure they do. Mm -hmm. Cool. I want to draw a parallel between writing this book and the actual content that the book was about, which was climbing and skiing the seven summits. They might be apples and oranges, but I don't think they are. Um, try to compare like how you feel after completing a project like this book to how you felt after you finished the project. <laughs> that was a great question, Ben. Thank um, you. I remember walking out from Everest Base Camp and shortly thereafter, maybe even on a phone interview on my, on my trek out for a couple of days with NPR, I did a phone interview. I'll never forget. And somebody asking me, I mean, this may not have been from NPR, but you know, people asking me what's next. Mm. And I'm like, really? Can, can I just sit with this for a little bit? Isn't that the thing? <laughs> That's what ultra marathoners say, right? When they're, when they're finished with the ultra marathon, everybody says, what's the next thing? And then also I heard high altitude mountaineers say that well, too. Like, I think, what's the next? Yeah. That's actually, yeah. It's actually, I actually have that in my book in that all adventurers are planning their next adventure right. before they finish the one that they're on. <laughs> um, but still, when it's something as momentous as a two-year project of the Seven Summits or a four-year project of writing about skiing the Seven Summits, there really is this sense that you know I just want to s- sit with it for a little while. But I feel like when I finished the Seven Summits, I actually knew what was next. I just didn't. It just needed to keep that close to my own skin for a while because 
for me at that moment, I knew that I was going to go home and try and have a family with mm-hmm. Rob. And that just wasn't something that I wanted to, you know, wear on my shirt sleeve right then for a few reasons. One, because that, you know, it doesn't really sound that great for being a professional athlete. And the other is because there's everybody else out there in the world who says that, you know, these things are difficult and they don't always happen so easily. But in the end, well, they didn't we didn't easily... say that about the seven summits. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I didn't really give many people the chance to say that. Right, first, true, I... true, yeah. <laughs> so I'd already learned my lesson, I guess. Um, so I did know what was next at that point. Um, but it was some, when, when I feel kind of like sharing some, some goals, um, you know, you have to hold them really close to yourself and sit for quite a while. You know, sometimes it takes a couple months or sometimes it might even take a bigger dream than, than that. And it'll be a year or two before, well, well you kind of chew on it. And for me, I, I chew on these different things, um, in diff- usually when I'm out in the mountains. So, you know, I'll go out for a ski tour or a long run or a bike ride or something or a mountain climb and then, and I get in those introspective modes or occasionally sit and meditate on it and I think about those things that are my goals and that I want to do and I, I really do weigh the energy of how it sits exactly for me and how important it really is for me. Is it going to make it on that next game card, you know? Um, and, and so that's where I'm saying I think it's dangerous to give, always give that away too soon before you've had enough time to sit real carefully with it. Um, but I do know what book I want to write next, and I do want to write another book. And it's been a really growthful, wonderful journey. And, um, and I do have other big skiing goals that I'm training for right now. And so it's fun to – I think, if anything, I've learned to make sure that I have at least one or a couple of different goals going before you finish something really big. Yeah. Um, I think that's what keeps us out of those those dark places of kind of, what you know, running I, on the hamster wheel. Right, yeah, yeah, the hamster wheel. You and I have s- totally different outlooks. We're, we're so, Do you like sharing it all? We're so different. Well, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I, I just think that we have two very different outlooks, but, you know, we're... Well, we're, why don't you let me interview you for another podcast? Oh, I would love that. I, I would love to be interviewed. Do you Do you have any questions for me right now? <laughs> How, what's your biggest um, differentiation between our outlooks? Okay, you, you're way, way, way more spiritual than I am, for sure. Like reading reading this book, some of the things I'm like, yeah. Like there was one part. Let me see. You, uh, <laughs> oh, I wrote it down. Um, you visited somebody called a soul. With a soul, a soul reader. reader, a soul mm-hmm. reader, and when mm-hmm. I read that, and when I read that, I was like, "Wow, <laughs> a, a soul reader is like the last person that I want to visit." <laughs> Tell us what a soul reader actually does, because um, it's just not for me. I'll, I'll say that, but well, I'm not saying that I have the skills to tap into that and, and actually be one of those. Um, and it took me many years before I got around to actually visiting her and having a soul reading. But you've got to admit, it's interesting. Don't you wonder what they would say? It definitely sparks. I mean, I, I was taking notes on my phone the whole time I was reading this. And right when I read that part, I, I wrote down, what the hell is a soul reader? <laughs> yeah. One early publisher um, that I was considering for the book was thought that that shouldn't be in there. Oh, really? Um, huh. Yeah. But for probably just that reason. But, you know, in the end, this is my book. So. Right, right. It is. Um, yeah, I listened to some of those things, but not all of them. Mm-hmm. Um, that that so within guess, itself, sorry, that within itself has got to be just a major battle, right? 
like trying to figure out how to appeal to a broader audience, but also include what you want to include? Right, right. And, you know, I'll mention that, you know, you talked about like the journey of the book and um, how it might be different or similar to a physical accomplishment Mm -hmm. like the Seven Summits. You know, I have um, I have different um, quotes sitting here on my desk that have kept me going and um, in in that kind of approach. And one of them is by that author, Cheryl Strayed, who wrote Wild. Mm -hmm. And she says, let yourself be gutted. Let it open you and start there. And that is something that I really tried to do with this book and that I wanted to make it a meaningful story because these experiences were meaningful for me in many ways that are far beyond, you know, this is camp three and this is camp mm-hmm. four. And um, those are the, you know, this, for me, climbing and skiing is just my dance. It's my, it's my way of, it's my lens for viewing life and for learning the lessons in life. And of course there are others, but this is my principal one. And, you know, there, there, so there's people out there who, for whom it's their own particular avenue of work or family or other things. And so it would make sense that I can apply my spirituality to, to what I do and then gather these life lessons. I mean, it, to me, it's so much more worthy to come back with something that I've grown and learned from, um, you know, than to just kind of simply be observant. Yeah. Um, Anyway, it's so anyway. Uh, quickly, Soul Reader. What is a Soul Reader? Soul Reader, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on that theme, right? Um, I mean, there's always been times when everybody, you know, everybody who's listening to this has had major junctions in their life, mm-hmm. and it was a very major junction in my life. I had competed free skiing for two years and won the two years that I, had, that I did it, um, the world, Women's World Free Skiing Champion title. And, and I had met this individual angel sponsor, um, and... So I had money left over from the season, and I was also enrolled at graduate school at the time, and I hadn't yet attended. I had deferred for two years, and so I had this major, major weighing of options in front of me, and one of them was, you know, what the rest of the world basically telling me or showing me (laughs) what I should be doing. You know, I should be getting a regular job. I should be, I'd been a stonemason for 12 years, you know, and I I love, I just still love building with stone. And I was like, okay, well, you just design these out. And I love to design too. So design these outdoor spaces, get a real job, go get in a master's degree. You've always wanted one. You were good at school. You always thought you'd get a master's degree. And by the way, you've been married for six or seven years by now. You know, maybe you should start to figure out when you're going to have a family and like, who do you think you are that, you know, you're 35, 36 years old and you want to keep skiing? Like, seriously, aren't you growing up yet? And, you know, and these are all the things that even if my mother didn't actually say them out loud, that she was wondering (laughs) and probably a lot of other people around me. And so you just feel that energy or I do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I'm wondering what to do next and how do I, what do I really tell this graduate school next? And, um, what do I tell my angel sponsor next? And what do I tell myself next? And so it wasn't like I put all my eggs in that basket of the soul reader, that's for sure. But, you know, um, it was one of those times when I had a real slow time and I just completed the ski season and I had, I was like, well, why not? And um, and so I picked up the phone and I gave her a call and what she had to say, it spoke to my heart and spoke to my true direction of what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. And I think in the book, I, in, I intuited that my husband had already said something similar. And so um, to just kind of be given the freedom to be who you are is sometimes the extra push that we need. 
as opposed to having that freedom taken away and just doing what you think you're supposed to be doing. Interesting. For our listeners, Kid has a whole section about the Soul Reader, a couple of pages, so check that out. But something that you cannot find in Higher Love is Kit's gear recommendation. That's a Mountain Meister exclusive kit. We like to get a gear recommendation from every single one of our Meisters. And I will say that we don't always talk about gear on this show, but when we do, we prefer that it comes from the first person to climb and ski the Seven Summits and the 2015 National Geographic Adventure of the Year. Give our listeners something that they have to have. Well, Ben, I do a lot of things deep in the backcountry. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately, I've been on three different expeditions in the last four years up to the far northern reaches of the Brooks Range in Alaska to the Arctic National Wildlife Refuge. And I've gone on solo journeys and to go ski in the Wind River Range in Wyoming and, you know, soloing up the Grand and here in um, the Tetons. And I know that there are some cool... Uh, products out there and uh, like the Delorme in Reach two-way satellite mm-hmm. communicator and I don't I don't have one of those right now but what I do have that I've had for about the last four years that I think really highly of is a personal locator beacon a PLB mm-hmm. made by this company ACR Electronics it's called the Rescue Link and I have it along with this real simple monthly subscription. So what it doesn't let me just kind of send out any, um, any message. And the reason that I like that for this is because sometimes you just need to go out there and you need to go deep, right? And you just need to go be alone and do some really intense project for yourself. You go that at least I do <laughs> you go experience myself and deep in these places right. and climb these mountains and sometimes alone or sometimes with somebody else, but just know that you can do it and you're not relying on sending out text messages all the time or downloading anything from your phone. I literally turn my phone off and I'm not even using battery. I'm not even carrying solar. So I'm just going super light. And I carry this rescue link because it is foolproof and it goes straight to should you need to activate it, your um, your rescue request will go straight to the Coast Guard and all of the federal agencies. Um, and it's, it's got a GPS built into it. <clears throat> it's highly, highly accurate. And it's been proven around the world. It works um, out in the oceans. It basically works anywhere. It only weighs 4.6 ounces. And so it's basically like a mini insurance policy that you know, you can send out a request for help at any time. And because I have the subscription, I can also hit send every once in a while, just like, so my husband's programmed in there and my mom, like I'm, I'm happy is what it says. If I send it, (laughs) I'm okay. I'm happy is my personal text sending in. And that's my only way to check in. And, and I like it like that sometimes. Um, but it is good to know, especially, you know, being a responsible mother that I can let people know um, if I'm really in grave danger yeah. and otherwise I'll figure it all out on my own. So I think if you're not going to carry like an in-reach and you don't really want to do all the texting and all of the major communications that we've all grown so addicted to and you really want to go check out, then consider bringing the ACR Electronics Rescue Link PLB with you just for a little safety. Very great. That on your Meister profile page, Kit, on our website, mtnmeister.com. I I assume that that fits with your ounces, ounces, pounds rule. It does fit with, it's only 4.6 ounces, so. Wow, okay. Very light. Yeah, for the listeners, Kit Kit says this thing in the book sometimes, ounces, ounces, pounds, who I believe you got from a mentor of yours. 
I got it from the National Outdoor Leadership School when I was a student there at the age of 19 in Alaska. Ounces, ounces, pounds. If you keep adding the ounces, keep adding the ounces, eventually you add pounds. I was reading this right around New Year's, Kit, so I thought it related more to my love handles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like that. Yeah, you like that? I've never thought of it in that context, Ben. Another way you and I are a bit divergent. (laughs) So different. Uh, Thank you, Kit. To close, I'm going to ask you a question that I've asked a few Meisters in the past, and that is this. You have inspired many, many different people. I'm sure you've inspired many of our listeners today. I'm curious who out there inspires you and why. I'm definitely going to tap my husband, Rob Delorier. Nice. He is still one of the best skiers I've ever seen on this planet. And his ability to keep that up and to merge his professional career later on in his life after being in something like 18 different Warren Miller ski films and he can just still get off the couch and run up and down the Grand in five hours and he's a real inspiration so I definitely tap Rob D. Very great. Now normally I ask for like some sort of connection after the show. Do you have any way that I can get in touch? Do you have his email address or anything? Yeah, I can probably get that (laughs) Okay, all right. thank you. Kit Deloria, wonderful having you on Mountain Meister Day. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Ben. It's been really fun. For the listeners, the Meister fans, check out highlights of today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com. You can also find out more about Kit at kitdski.com. And pay attention. As we said before, Kit is a 2015 National Geographic Adventure of the Year, and the voting for the People's Choice Award is still going on until the end of January. We're going to have the link to vote for Kit on her Meister profile page. And this is one of those voting buttons that doesn't even ask you to put in your email address or anything. All you have to do is click it. So take about two seconds out of your day. Go to Kit's Meister profile page and vote for her. And finally, if you like what Kit had to say today, her book goes on sale on Amazon starting January 20th, or you can pre-order it. We'll have the links to that on Kit's Meister profile page as well. Kit, I meant to ask you, is this going to be in audiobook format? It's not yet, but it will be. It'll be in audio someday, and sooner than that, it'll be in electronic format. But for our, our January 20th launch, it's available in hardcover, mm-hmm. and you'll find links to that on my website. Great. I was just going to say, if you needed somebody to dictate the audiobook, I know somebody with a great voice. Sounds good. We'll talk about that and more soon, I hope. All right. Bye, Kit. Bye, Ben. Hello, Meister fans. I sincerely hope that you enjoyed that 100th episode with Kit Delorier. Thank you for listening. A couple of quick things. Next week, I'll be at the Outdoor Retailer Trade Show in Salt Lake City, and I'm going to be recording a podcast episode about the latest and greatest products on the market. If there are any particular products that you're interested in learning more about, shoot me an email, ben at mtnmeister.com, and I'll see if I can include them as part of the episode. Also, I have made plans with a ton of companies who have agreed to give you guys a ton of free gear. Keep an eye out for the outdoor retailer episode of Mountain Meister, where we will be giving out an exorbitant amount of free stuff. If you listen to the episode early, you'll most likely be rewarded for it. 
Another free thing that every single one of you can capitalize on is a free audiobook from Audible. It lasts for one month, and if you do this, I get paid. Please understand this. By you capitalizing on a free audiobook, you are supporting Mountain Meister. Please take 60 seconds out of your day to do that. The link is right on our homepage. Enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. Until the next time you hear my voice, I am Ben Shank, and you have been listening to Mountain Meister. <laughs>